Hi, <laughs> Ivy. Thank you so much for, uh, for agreeing to do this. <laughs> yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me and chatting uh, with me. Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? Yeah, so I grew up um, in a tiny town called Tunbridge in central Vermont. Um, it's a, you know, less than a thousand people, kind of like 700, 750 people. Um, both my parents moved to New York, to Vermont um, from different places. My dad with his parents when he was like a teenager and my mom in her 30s when she was kind of a hippie moving around. So I was lucky to kind of grow up in an era of, um, and in a place where, you know, TV dinners and like Hot Pockets were not in my family. My mom was kind of on the farm to table movement long before it was a thing. So, you know, we, like, we weren't allowed to have sugary cereal. Um, you know, we had fruit leather rather than fruit, fruit by the foot. <laughs> and, um, and my mom is an excellent cook and has always really cared about the culinary arts. So I grew up eating, you know, food from my aunt's garden and stuff from the farmer's market and, you know, like fresh maple syrup. And I knew the places that the meat that I ate was uh, raised and I knew, you know, who made my butter. <laughs> I mean, not all the time, but, you know, but, but it was, but it was really, it was really like that. So I grew up eating lots of really kind of classic dishes from my mom. Um, she, you know, she's the oldest of five, uh, born in 1945, kind of in the suburbs of Chicago. So she's kind of like the classic, you know, roast type of lady, um, but hearty, really delicious meals that were made from really delicious ingredients. Awesome. And what was it that drew you to bartending and what keeps it exciting as you're in the industry longer? Well, when I first started bartending, I actually started bartending when I moved to Guatemala. Um, I, so I, as I said, I grew up in Vermont, Vermont, everyone was kind of like a different variation of myself, like six degrees of wasp, basically, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I kind of want to get out of here, I kind of want to go see something new, um, I really wanted to learn a foreign language, I really wanted to learn Spanish, but I was kind of, I was like, I'll take anything, I just want to go somewhere else, and ended up going to Guatemala, um, ended up hanging out in Guatemala, ended up hanging out in bars in Guatemala, and then ended up working in bars in Guatemala. Um, and what drew me to it originally was this, um, sorry. <laughs> what, what, drew, what drew to me originally was um, this opportunity to do this job anywhere. Um, it was more of a utilitarian thing. I, and I was very interested in traveling and seeing new cultures, new places. And originally I was like, well, I can do this job anywhere. And I really liked that aspect of it. Like, okay, if, if everything goes to hell tomorrow and I need to move to Japan, I can probably get a job bartending because people need bar, bar bartenders. Um, and that was when I worked in kind of beer and shots type of places. And like my cocktail knowledge didn't really expand past the mojito. <laughs> uh, and then I discovered cocktails and um, <laughs> I realized that I could be creative and make these really beautiful things with and bartend and be this in this social environment that I could do kind of anywhere and that's really what draw me drew me to it and kept on drawing me to it right um, yeah yeah how do you keep it interesting well it's funny you know now I've been bartending for more of my life like let's see this 
this in two years, I will be, I will have bartended for half my life, Wow, <laughs> which is insane. Right. Cause I started when I was 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, um, and what keeps it interesting to me now is kind of always what did keep it interesting, but now in a different way. Um, I still have this wanderlust. I still have this desire to explore other places and different cultures and different things. And to me, cocktails and bartending, cocktails in particular, let's just talk about making cocktails, are really a way that I can dive into different places and different cultures and different things, right? Right. Because the way we eat and we drink is so intertwined with the cultures um, that we come from or that we go and visit. So that's really what's kept it um, interesting to me throughout the years. And, you know, I'm a geek. (laughs) I'm a total nerd. Uh, Yeah, I was a philosophy major in college. And there's just an infinite amount to know about spirits um, and then about flavors. And so, you know, I can just dig and dig and dig and get nerded out on the one topic and that can last a year, you know? Mm-hmm. So that, that's how I keep it spicy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I asked because it's, you know, I mean, obviously you've been doing so many different things. Like you've been doing running speed rack and running a bar, Landa, and also writing a mm-hmm. book. So like, obviously mm-hmm. you haven't just been behind a bar, but at the same time, you know, the, the kind of like nitty gritty of, of what you do is still... Yeah yeah is still behind a bar and still like doing that yeah. sort of work and well, I'm definitely like a project oriented person like I'm right. the type of person in my whole life that's been like okay I'm gonna do this thing for two or three years and now I need another thing right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely but how has the experience of running Leanda right now been during the pandemic like what is have you guys been doing outdoor seating um you know, what was your reaction when the shutdown first went into place and how have you kind of um, endured through this time? Totally. So I, you know, usually I travel a lot. I either right. travel because of speed rack or I consult on a lot of stuff. I'm, I fly a lot. So mm-hmm. when COVID first started to rear its head, um, I was actually on vacation and I remember being like, oh, there's a thing going on in China. Weird. And then I started, got back, was home for a week, and I started traveling in the States. I had to do speed rack competitions, and I had to go judge at the San Francisco Spears Challenge. Mm-hmm. And I was in denial, I think, about the realities of what was happening. Right. Um, I mean, for sure, I was in denial. So I, um, I was traveling up until the 17th of March. So I was really traveling uh, quite a bit after most people I know were working traveling like I was and I went from San Francisco and the day I left San Francisco they shut down they went to and then from there I went to New Orleans and then they shut down and I remember I was in and they flew home and we shut down <laughs> and I was in San Francisco and I got a call from my business partners being like we are going to close um it's too, too it's really weird here it's like the apocalypse like we for the safety of everyone like our staff is concerned we're going to shut down I was like okay and then the next day, Cuomo was like, it's, it's going to be shut down. Uh, I served cocktails to go that weekend mm-hmm. and then decided to stop doing that uh, because it was really, it wasn't safe. And then I decided that I was going to go home to Vermont where I'm from for two weeks. I packed it back for two weeks. My family will be back. I'll open everything back up. I stayed there for two months, almost two and a half months. Wow. Um, and... 
then we slowly started to open up again, you know, like life still happens, right? Like mm -hmm. bills have to be paid. Rent has to get paid. Our water bill, which only comes every you know quarter, we had to pay that. Um, and we had to really start working. Uh, so we did, and we brought back our kitchen staff and we started doing cocktails to go and delivery. And then we got to do outside uh, when Cuomo allowed for that. And, you know, it's, just, it's weird. I've, we, we've been okay. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, I don't, you know, I keep on saying like, winter is coming, everybody. <laughs> winter is coming. I live in New York City. Right. Like, uh, no one, New Yorkers have a funny fear of eating and drinking outside. I feel like anywhere else in the world, people sit outside well into winter. In New York, everyone's like, ah, no. So <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, Cuomo just said that we can open up at 25% inside. And I really feel like that's the equivalent of being thrown in a deflated life jacket. You mm -hmm. know, it's just like the appearance of helping is there. The appearance of aid is there. But the reality is that for Leyenda, 25% operational, we won't be able to break even break even at that um, right. if we don't have outdoor too. So we're, we're, we're playing it by ear. Um, right. But it's, it's not, the only answer, I think, is a vaccine. Like, mm -hmm. do I want 100% indoor, like, indoor dining? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Like, I don't want to work that way. I don't want my staff to work that way. I don't want customers to come in like that because it's just, like, uncomfortable. But um, it's, it's really difficult, for sure. Right. I mean, everyone is kind of talking about, you know, what should the government be doing to help independent restaurants and bars, um, mm -hmm. especially in New York, you know, in New York City and then, you know, the other layer of New York State. Like, is there anything in particular you you wish to see that would actually be helpful? Yeah, I mean, I've been so I actually because of Gia, actually, I uh, I ended up um on the independent restaurant coalition uh -huh. so which is called the irc and we're basically a newly formed group that phone formed during covid to try to get bars and restaurants together uh with the government to create a relief package mm -hmm. um specifically for independent bars and restaurants meaning not shake shack not right. mcdonald's not franchise not publicly traded um so we've been working on something called the Restaurants Act, which is now a bill that's in Congress and in the Senate, uh, which is a $120 billion bill that will be a relief package to bars and restaurants. And that is the, that's the one, like we just need money. Right. Because the fact of the matter is we're all running, I think you're lucky if you're breaking even right now. I know a few people who are doing better than ever, which is you know, good for them, but they're so rare. Right. Um, but restaurants need a relief package, and particularly restaurants in the Northeast, you know, that, that winter is coming and it's scary. Right. Um, so, or just the North in general, maybe we've got the Northeast. So I think that the Restaurants Act is something that when I'm feeling even the most bleak, I'm like, if we can just get that and we can get a grant, not a loan, but a grant in our pockets of a couple hundred thousand dollars, then we'll be able to survive, right. you know? Um, so that's why when I'm feeling like all is lost, I'm like, well, we're almost at 200, you know, co-sponsors in the Senate and the Congress. And, <laughs> you right. know, like that at least gives me a little bit of something to look to hope for. Which is right, good. right, right. I mean, did you ever expect that would be something you'd be doing? Is, is no. We're, no. <laughs> yeah. no, never in a million years. And like, 
what's funny is that I'm actually kind of good at it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and like, people are like, wow, you've gotten so many people to co-sponsor. It's like, I just call up and make an appointment. And yeah, it's definitely, it's a different type of, of feeling power. Right. Um, right. And if, and I hope that something happens with it because like me, you know, I wrote a book. I have, my bar is one lots of accolades. Like I'm like one of the people that, you know, has at least the press coverage or like whatever that, that hopefully my place will get attention. But like, I really like the Indian place on my block, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they probably, they probably don't know anything about, they're not going to get the New York Times article or, you know, whatever the hell it is. And if they can get some of this grant money um, to alleviate their financial burden, then I think that's a win for everybody because imagine a life where we don't get to eat and drink what we want to it's just so dismal yeah <laughs> especially in new york yeah <laughs> right exactly that's why we live that's why i live there <laughs> um so about your book yeah which just came out in a pandemic yeah. which is mm -hmm. you know not fun for anybody but um yeah. you know what was why did you want to write this particular book the spirits of latin america and you know what was your process for researching and producing such a, a book about such a diverse array of spirits yeah, so when I first, oops, sorry. Um, when I first uh, had the opportunity, I was approached about writing the book mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, they're like, what do you want to write a book about? And I was like, well, I can tell you what I don't want to write the book about. I don't want to write the book about what it's like to be a woman in the industry, which right. is what everyone always wanted me to write about because it's like, I've got a few facets of my career. One of them is certainly speed rack and, and I definitely have a feminist tilt to what I do, but I was like, I don't want to write about that. You know, <laughs> I, like, I'm like, I opened this bar about these spirits that I really love. Um, and when I open up Leyenda, I open up Leyenda because I couldn't go to a bar and drink all the things I wanted to. You know, I couldn't go to a bar and be like, like tequila and mezcal bars existed everywhere and most of them suck and most of them serve bad tequila and bad mezcal. And then, but then when I go, I can't get like Pisco, right. you know? So that's why I wanted to go um, eat or go eat and drink, like that food and drink. So that's why I opened up Leyenda. And then when it came time to write a book, I was like, well, I'm interested in this, in spirits from around this area. Why? Like, why is it that I'm interested in spirits from the quote unquote new world, right? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the Latin new world. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I say that, I say that loose, you know, with right. dramatic air quotes. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I, uh, and I ended up um, being like, okay, so here are this category of spirits and they have this really interesting uh, history behind them. And everything is in its essence, an agricultural product. And you know, grapes came because literally because people want to make the blood of Christ and turn all the indigenous people into God-fearing Christians. Agaves were already here, but and then depending on who you talk to, but distillation is a is a, a of well, it depends. But right. most people believe it's from Spanish uh, descent. Um, that well, from the Moors came with the Spanish over to the Americas, um, and all that is kind of the embodiment of this real mestizo culture right of you know endemic and original and conquistador and you know european right. so i really wanted to explore that and i also wanted to explore um you know if you look at music from that part of the world it's like 
you know, you've got reggae, you've got reggaeton, you've got bachata, you've got salsa, you've got all these different, it's not like we're listening to bluegrass there, right? right? <laughs> and then the spirits themselves also have this vibrance and this vivaciousness. And if you look at the textiles in this part of the world, everything's a little bit brighter, a little bit more alive. And I was like, well, why is that? So that's why I wanted to read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that's, you know, that's what the book is about. It's really about the, the cultural aspects of terroir, you know? Right. right. And so were you doing a lot of on the ground research for this, like traveling around Latin America? I was, yeah. So I, you know, I traveled a lot, like before I even, um, I was traveling a lot before I even started writing the book or before right. I even started learning about <laughs> spirits. I, I lived in my college years in Guatemala, I lived in Peru, I lived in Argentina, and I traveled all over the place when I was in college. And then um, in, uh, when, and then, and then, and I was, then um, when I got into the booze biz, I started traveling a lot and learning about booze in general in Latin America. And then I took a four month trip off and on to go and write the book and take the photos and do on the ground work. And that was like, I mean, when I was doing it, it was really difficult and hard and, um, you know, was not great for running any of my other businesses or my relationship, that's for sure. <laughs> but, but, but then the result was, um, you know, the photographs that were taken by Shan Sturgis, which are just beautiful, and a lot of really great interview opportunities for me. Of course, yeah. And so I think in, in the spirits of Latin America broadly, it's even more important to talk about ideas about sustainability and mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. how alcohol is an agricultural product. So mm-hmm. how do you define sustainability in terms of spirits as well as in cocktails? And, and you know, how do you pursue that standard? Yeah, so, I mean, it's so multi-tiered, multi-faceted. Right. I mean, as you said, spirits are in their essence, they come from something, right? Some right. sort of plant. And so that's an agricultural product. And, um, and sorry, is that, that's us, right? Okay, so, and we, so, what we have to think about is how are things being grown? Are pesticides being used? Are, you know, are we replanting in a, in a, in a way that's good? Are we paying our people who are making these products well? Um, you know, unfortunately, agricultural people who work in farming, like the, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, campesinos, uh, are usually at the bottom of the totem pole socioeconomically. And there's not, it, it, it that's the same also in spirits production right the people who are picking your grapes or chop, chopping down your sugar cane or harvesting your agaves are generally not with the college degrees and probably without the options to go elsewhere and get a job in an office or something um so it's important to pay those people well and to ensure that they're in conditions that that are environmentally sound for them and their health i mean if you look at in the history of some of the stuff that's happened with you know, rum production and people having horrible kidney failure because of burning the fields. That's a problem for our environment and it's a problem for the people who are making these spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one sustainability. I, I'm very um, concerned and, you know, wondering about, I mean, with, well, we can go on and on about it. So many, there are so many problems with greed and with, you know, like in agave production, people have decided not to let agaves 
reproduce naturally, i.e. sexually. And, and the problem with that is that now we just have a bunch of clones of agaves, and if the phloxera of agave comes out, then we have no more agaves, right? Because we haven't been sustainably um, protecting them. The same, that's what happened with grapes, with phloxera, <laughs> you know? And the same thing's happening in pisco production, and then the sugar came the same. So, um, so, so that's, that's a problem, just as far as the plant itself. Then as far as cocktails are concerned, there's been this fad about sustainability in cocktails, and I think that that's awesome, but I don't know if people reusing their lime shells is as important as what's happening from the spirits production of big national companies. Right. Um, you know, when I go to places, different distilleries, and I see that, like I go to Mexico, where there's a lot of glass production, like lots of people make glass bottles in Mexico, and I go to some fancy tequila production and they have pallets and pallets of glasses of bottles from Germany and Austria. And I'm like, so you're gonna ship these things <laughs> all the way from there over to here and that doesn't make any sense. So it's, it's you know, the whole thing about shop local, shop local, buy local, et cetera, makes sense. It's also antithetical because I like Latin spirits, right? I'm like, right, have right. to be shipped from South America <laughs> in order for me to get them. Um, but it is, it is complicated and it is, uh, I think that we need to demand more and know more about how people are doing it from a corporate level. Right. Um, and then realizing that sustainability in cocktails is good, but I, I am a little dubious about um, the fad of using avocado pits and I don't really know if that's what we should be focusing when people are taking their highly lethal, you know, vinyas from their distillates and like dumping them in the river next to their house. Right. 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 <laughs> so that, that, that's the thing. Yeah, no. It, uh, food waste, of course, is an important issue, but at, at the same time, it, it doesn't really matter if, if you're bringing all these things in from God knows where and you're also not concerned with the the ecological conditions at the source and labor conditions, right. of course. Um, exactly. And so I usually ask people for the last question if for them cooking is a political act, but I figured for you, the question should be, um, is bartending a political act? Shit. Hello?